there, this is Pastor Julie from the United Methodist Churches of Shoto, Brady, and Dutton, Montana. Welcome, we are glad to have you join us online or through our podcast. We would love to have you worship with us live or in person any Sunday. For more information on our locations and worship times, I'd invite you to check out our website, umshoto.net. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thanks for joining us from wherever you are in the world. Our scripture reading is in Matthew, Matthew 5, 21 through 22, concerning anger. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Then in Matthew, Matthew 5, 27 through 28, concerning adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lust has already committed adultery in their hearts. Matthew 5, 43 to 44, love for enemies. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Thank you, Jane. The inspiration, if we should call it that, for my message today comes from a Bible class that Julie held at Skyline. Uh, two books ago, we had a book on the Sermon on the Mount. And these readings are from the Sermon on the Mount which can easily be argued is the best, most memorable sermon ever, ever presented. Most of the Sermon on the Mount is remembered for what's called the Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes, and these aren't them. There's eight Beatitudes that pretty much follow the formula, blessed are the blank, for they shall blank. And there's eight of them. And, and each one is a subject for a sermon in itself. So that's what the Sermon on the Mount is probably most known for. But what I've had read here are called the extensions. And the book that we read was covered the extension. There's five. I only picked three, three that I consider the, the biggest ones. There's one on oath and there's one on marriage. But these three stood out to our group as we studied the Sermon on the Mount. Because because, they're, and they're called the extensions because Jesus said, extended, new rules, he's saying. Yeah, it used to be uh, you don't commit adultery, that's the rule. Now if you think about it, that's bad enough. That's a problem. Or it used to be if you murdered someone, you don't murder somebody. But now I'm telling you, you can't have anger. That's a sin in and of itself. And Jesus says, and it used to be 
you love your neighbor and it's okay to not love your, your enemy. Well, now he's saying, love your enemy. So our group looks at all this and goes, wow, a big change just all of a sudden. Uh, 2,000 years ago, everything changed big time as Jane just read for us. Wow. And in fact, kind of weirder yet, there's a paradox in this whole thing. Our group discussed how the, old, the God of the Old Testament doesn't seem like the same God in the New Testament. The Old Testament God, if you accidentally touch the Ark of the Covenant, you die. Too bad. If it, if it happened to fall off a cart and touch you, you're going to die. That's kind of trite, don't you think? Kind of unfair. And God took sides in war in the Old Testament. Kill those Philistines, you know. 19,000 die. Ah, that's good news. Huh? Uh, didn't they all have mothers and, and, and wives? 19,000 died, and that's good news? That's the Old Testament. And you spoke, God was to be feared. New Testament, whole new thing. God's love. He loves us. He cares for us. Wow, what a change. And how come, our group is wondering, how come just when Jesus comes, everything's different? You know, we kind of felt things must have changed. The society changed. It had to have new rules. What made sense 5,000 years ago didn't make sense 2,000 years ago. And then our group takes it to the next step. As we're, and this is, I'm, I'm also kind of selling the idea of a Bible study. It really helped because as a group, we discuss these things and we're, we're learning from each other. But they're saying, well, if, don't you think things have changed since Jesus? If the rules that he brought out 2,000 years ago were different, there, shouldn't there be something different today? Aren't we a lot different from Jesus' time? Oh, my goodness, are we ever. It's a different world, worldly difference. Now, we didn't solve that problem. In fact, we let it sit there. It's just what, you know, what is, are the rules, should they be different here in our world versus when Jesus lived? How come it had to change 2,000 years ago and we're still under the same rules, sort of? So I've got a story to share about how to, how to live a Christian life in a very secular world. That's the issue. And of course, that's kind of why we come to church, to remind ourselves and, and to try to do it. Oh, and I wanted to share another thing about the paradox in all this, of the old God and the new God. We just sang the Gloria Patri, and in it it says, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. To God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. And I just said, Seems like it changed. Was, is, shall have always be. And yet, we're talking about how, oh my goodness, how things changed. Jesus says, new rules, guys. Okay, well, that's a little paradox that we struggled with. Do we need new changes? Well, I'm going to share a story in my life that talks about that topic. Uh, and it's not, you're not, I'm going to set expectations here. You're not going to go home, I've got it figured out now. This isn't going, I'm not, I'm not that brilliant that you're all going to say, I understand now. Thank goodness I came to church today. But I'm going to give you a peekaboo view of the solution to this problem. And the peekaboo view is about this big, and you're looking through a keyhole trying to see, 
figure out what, what's going on. Or, you know, what, what, what does the society look like there? So don't, don't get the expectation set, I'm going to answer every question you've got about how to live your life. But we're going to talk about that a little bit anyway. Forty years ago, I had an experience that I'm going to relate. Now, 40 years ago, of course, I'm 75 today. We've talked about that. 40 years ago, I was 35. You know, picture me with brown hair, a lot of it, uh, and a lot younger. And my wife and I were college friends through an undergraduate school and graduate school, so we were kind of on an academic basis. We often would talk about books and academic things. So one day she said to me, I, I read a book that I heard about that I think you would like. It helps you, helps us live a Christian life in a secular world. Huh, just what I'm talking about today. 40 years ago, my wife brought it up. And it's possible when I did the sermon in Brady, virtually everybody nodded when I mentioned the book. Don't know if you know this book. Its name is Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, written by Robert Fulcrum. Everything I, Helen's kind of laughing. I think you're a kindergarten teacher, so yeah. So uh, yeah, this book gets some fame. So I read the book, and uh, it has some really good messages in it. And it made, it made kind of impacted me. Shortly after I read the book, I, w I got my first big promotion in my life. I became a manager of a group of engineers where we, I worked for Hewlett Packard most of my life. And I, I knew that the group didn't work together as a team. So I wanted to find a way to bring them together better. So I had this absolutely crazy idea that I would have a daily meeting for 15 minutes in the middle of the afternoon, and we would share things. And I came up with eight rules for this meeting to work, to make it last only 15 minutes. And it was based around this book. The first rule is it's exactly on time, three o'clock every afternoon, be there. Second rule is as you come to sit down, sit down in a different arrangement every day. There was five of them, the secretary and me, there's seven. That's 5,000 different ways seven people can sit around a circle. So I said, you don't have to keep track, but if you try not to sit where you sat last time yesterday, it'll work out. Rule three, as you sit down, greet the person on either side of you with their name and shake and handshake or touch or hug or something. So you've touched, some, you've touched somebody on either side of you and you've said their name. So you're connected with that person. And over the weeks, you connect with everybody. Rule four, we read somebody who's sitting in this one chair, reads what is the summary of the book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I've got it here. This takes 20 seconds, so bear with me. And every day, somebody read this. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. That became our pledge. We read that every, every afternoon at 3 o'clock. That's rule four. Rule five, uh, we share what's going on in our life. I had a one-minute hourglass or timer 
that I would turn upside down and hand to the next person and say, Eldon, what's new with you today? And Eldon would have one minute to answer that question. And typically, these were all engineers that talked about their work. But it would also be, uh, my grandmother's in the hospital. My dog's got a cold. Little things would come up. And if it got quiet, if they ran out of things to say and the hourglass is still running, people could ask questions. Well, how's your son's basketball team going? So there'd be conversation, not only just the media sharing. So that was one minute, so you go around the table, one minute sharing. And while that's happening, at the center of the table are cookies and milk. Seriously. And I, and every, and I said, now the expectation, you don't have to eat a whole cookie. I had Oreos there that were cut in half if you wanted. And I had little shots of milk that you could drink, cookies and milk. And then rule seven, at the end, as we've gone around the circle, we all hold hands, we stand up, we're late, we say the word teamwork. That's it. Now, I want to compare those eight rules to a church service. I purposely designed this meeting to simulate a church service. Let's talk again about them. Rule one, well, three o'clock on weekdays, we meet at 11 o'clock on Sundays. And it starts at 11 o'clock. That's the rule. If you want to be here, be here on time. Uh, sit randomly. Well, not so much. <laughs> yeah, uh, some do, most don't. Uh, it's kind of funny at Brady, as I was talking with Linda before, she was saying, I hope I'm not sitting in somebody's pew. And uh, it turned out we weren't, uh, by good luck. But uh, even I, I won't leave that one. I won't tell everybody, hey, we should be doing this. But I will tell you, there's enormous advantages to that, of being next to somebody different each time we get together. It really helped. Uh, greet, the, greet the person next to you. Well, that's the passing of the peace, put in slightly different format. That over the course of a couple of weeks, you, you touch everybody, and you say their name. In the course of a couple of weeks, we all would be connected. Here, we pretty much do it in Brady. Oh, my goodness, it's a big thing. There's big-time hugs everywhere, and it went on and on and on, which is exactly what you want to have happen. Yeah, the passing of the peace was in my meeting. The reading our pledge, well, that's the invocation. It's also uh, the affirmation of faith. Probably better relates to the affirmation of faith, because we say, here's what we believe. And that's what it, that my group said, here's what we believe. Share everything. Be nice to everybody. That was our affirmation of faith. Put in secular terms so that we all related to it. The sharing, where we had the hourglass, yeah, that's our joys and concerns. It's also the, the fellowship hour after church, which is probably a better example of it. Although the joys and concerns touches on the, on the topic, our fellowship time after church is a deeper version of that, a very important part of that. But it was very important in, our, in my meeting that everybody shared, everybody had something to say. Cookies and milk, it's kind of like our coffees and cookies that we do after church. You could even argue it's kind of like our uh, sacraments, our uh, communion, because this really became my group's identity, cookies and milk. To jump ahead a little bit, I ran this for 10 years, every day for 10 years, and it was our identity, cookies and milk. We hold hands, that's again passing of the peace. We're touching everybody again, and in the course of a couple of weeks, you've touched everybody in the whole group. We're connected with our group, and we recite together our one-word pledge of teamwork. Now here, 
We recite a lot of things together. The Lord's Prayer, for instance. We actually sing songs. We recite recitals are a big part of a church service. Well, I only had a one-word recital, but it was the key point I was trying to make across. We're a team. We're proud to be a team. We love each other. No, I didn't ever say that, but that was what a team's about. So let's talk about how I did talk about our mission. Our mission was to have camaraderie, sharing, and serve, helping each other. Camaraderie, sharing, helping. Last time I spoke here, I talked about the church's mission. And the church's mission, it's on the front of our bulletin, it's to love, witness, serve. Well, those are religious words for the same words I just said. The camaraderie, sharing, and helping. Yeah, our church has that as our mission. And this wasn't by chance I did this. I realized I wanted the concepts of religion, the connecting with one another and loving one another to become part of my team so that we would work as a team, which I was convinced would be better than not working as a team. So, of course, I wouldn't be telling the story if it was a catastrophic failure. It was an unbelievable success. Even on the very first day when I was kind of worried, they're all going to be saying, come on, Brooks, we're not kindergartners anymore. But, uh, you know, they, they did it. The first day, the second day. And after three weeks, my boss comes to me because it got well known in the office that, especially when we stand up and say the word teamwork together. And I was taking some teasing. Other managers would say, I wish I weren't... I, didn't have, I wasn't so busy, so I could afford to just chat, chit-chat with my team. And I said, it's only 15 minutes, you know, come on. Uh, my boss came to me and said, this, this really doesn't sound like a good idea. You know, our, our employees are worth $100 an hour, and you're in a group that's a couple hundred dollars worth of time you're wasting. I said, why don't you come to a meeting? See what you think. Well, she came to one, and after it was over, she wanted to meet with me, and I was a little bit nervous. But she starts by saying, is it always that good? And I said, yeah, I think that was a very typical meeting. Because there was a couple places in that one where somebody said, I'm having trouble with a blip, I can't get the, uh, a, something to work, I don't have a, a good data or a good algorithm for finding a phone number in a large database. And somebody would say, uh, see me after cookies and milk. I've got an idea for you. And that became common, that the helping thing was natural once you have the friendship thing and the knowledge of what's going on. So the, the, the helping became huge. And I thought I told you I did this for 10 years. In seven of those 10 years, my team had the highest quota performance in the world. It had never been done that anyone had ever repeated year to year. Of course, it was very hard because you'd normally you'd have your quota doubled if you had a good year. And that happened to me. Over those 10 years, my group grew from five to 22. And they didn't normally split a group, but nobody wanted to split my group because it was so successful. In seven of those 10 years, my group, I, won, I got to go to Winter Circle, which is a Eula Packard celebration. And in the 10th year, we got the biggest order in the history of Eula Packard, and the CEO came to Cookies and Milk, unknown to my team. And he announced that the entire team, all 22 of the engineers and all three of my staff, went to Winter Circle. It had never been more than five people from one group went. We had 25, and it was in Cancun. <laughs> so it was a big deal. And frankly, that was the end of Cookies and Milk. 
I got a promotion that uh, took me away from that job, and uh, my predecessor, my followers, nobody chose to run Cookies and Milk. Yeah, you know, it's kind of surprising because you know it, it, everybody knew about it, everybody knew it was successful, but it, there was something about it that uh, was kind of demeaning, I guess. It was kind of so different that nobody else wanted to try it. But the last time I saw Dave Packard, Dave Packard said, are you still doing cookies and milk? And I said, yeah, every, every uh, afternoon at 3 o'clock. And he said, keep it up. And he died shortly after that. But yeah, that was Dave Packard's last words to me, keep it up. Pretty special. So I share this. Remember where I'm coming from on this topic. How do we live a Christian life in a very secular world? And I'm giving you a view of a success I had with it. I was living a Christian life. I was loving everybody. I was sharing with everybody. I was helping everybody. I was doing what our charter is, what our mission is. And I was doing it, here's the key, with secular terms. I wasn't saying, I'm, I'm, oh, guys, I'm going to convert you all to be Christians. And by the way, the, I hired people that were clearly non-Christians from all over the world. That was when I got my big hiring spree going. I broke all the rules instead of hiring middle-aged uh, men. I hired, half the people I hired were women. And virtually all were from out, for outside the United States. So it was a wildly diverse team that gave different perspectives on how to do things, that solved problems in ways better than any other group in the, in the world. So I contend that my applying my Christian principles to that group using secular terms, different words for the same ideas, was a tremendous success. And I, now all of you aren't in the mode to be able to do that sort of thing exactly. But you are in a mode, we all are, live in this world where we get to share our love and share our principles with everybody we interface with. And my premise here is that uh, the success I had was based on doing it in secular ways instead of just being religious about it, saying, I'm going to teach you how to be a good Christian. I just showed how to love, how to care, and how to help. That's my answer to the question of how to live a Christian life in a very secular wor world. Cookies and milk. It works. Amen. Our hymn of reflection kind of plays on this concept. In the Faith We Sing book 2223, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It's taking this concept and putting it into a song. We 
that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we'll guard human dignity and save human pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things come. And all praise to Christ Jesus, God's only Son. And all praise to the Spirit who makes us one. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love.